Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in the American West, a channel on the New Books Network of podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Hausman. Today, I'm speaking with Drs. Yanni Lati and uh, Dr. Rebecca Weaver-Hightower. Dr. Lati is an Academy of Finland Research Fellow in History at the University of Helsinki, and Dr. Weaver-Hightower is Professor of English at Virginia Tech University. We'll be discussing their recent co-edited collection, Cinematic Settlers, The Settler Colonial World on Film, which came out with Rutledge in 2020. Welcome to the New Books Network, and in your case, Yanni, welcome back to the New Books Network. You are a repeat customer here, so so it's good to have you back again. All right, thanks for having me. It's it's nice to be back. Yes, thank you. To begin, why don't you both tell us a little bit about your backgrounds as scholars? And uh, uh, Becky, why don't we begin with you? Thank you. So um, uh, my background is I'm a post-colonialist. So I study places, I know this is a little strange to have me on a podcast about the American West, but here I am, I'm happy to be here. So I study uh, typically places that used to be colonies of England. And my most recent work has been on um, South Africa, Canada, and Australia. Um, uh, and I've been working on uh, looking at um, settler texts in the context of how guilt is processed through them and um, uh, how these texts provide an important place for working through anxieties and uh, angst about the settler colonial project. And I'll just stop there. All right. Uh, my background is in, in the history of the American West. So I'm a historian. Uh, my first first studies were on, on the U.S.-Mexico borderlands, especially on the U.S. Apache Wars, and that kind of drew me into these uh, histories of settler colonialism. And also, uh, very early on in my doctoral thesis, I already uh, tried to apply post-colonial theory, advanced sites, ideas uh, into the history of the American West. So, and more recently, in the last last three or four years. Uh, getting more and more interested in, in global history, uh, global settler colonialism, uh, comparing 
American West with the German uh, Southwest Africa, for example. That's one of the things I'm doing right now. So that kind of sums up my background. So, Stephen, can I add on one more thing? Uh, yes, I, forgot to, I forgot to say that in my in my uh, work, I often look at film. And so when I look at texts, um, I, I use that word broadly. And so I'll look at novels, diaries, um, advertisements, television shows. But a, a strong thread has been an interest in um, uh, post-colonial film. And so I actually have another book on post-colonial film before this one. So there's a lot of commonalities between between what you both study, both of your, your interests in, in research and, and in the world. So what was the genesis then of this project? How did this edited collection come about? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> uh, try to remember how it all happened. Uh, basically, it, it, it started with me. Uh, it, was, it was originally my, my, my desire to do something with, with movies. Uh, I've been a movie buff, uh, fan. For pretty much all my life, I've also, as an academic, uh, I've written a couple of essays on 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 settler colonialism in the U.S. West before this book. So that was kind of the idea that we should we should have a book that compares the U.S. Western settler colonialism in movies with other places around the world. And there was no such book uh, available. There was Peter Limbrick's uh, Making Settler Cinemas. Which was it's an inspirational book on on uh, this transnational settler cinemas uh, within the British Empire, but there was no global global approach tried before this. At least to my knowledge, I never come up with anything like that. So that was kind of the the, the, the starting point that I wanted to see uh, connections. I, I wanted to locate connections, similarities, of course, differences as well between different cinematic traditions uh, around the world, and especially these, these what we traditionally see as settler colonial states, uh, not only in North America, but Australia, New Zealand, um, and also these failed settler colonial projects in French Algeria, German Southwest Africa, uh, and, and then it turned out later that, that there, was, there were other places like the so- Soviet Union or the or Taiwanese movies, that also had these similar, similar colonial uh, traits and, 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 and emphasis in, in their cinematic tradition. So that's how it got started. And I, I started recruiting orders, basically looking at, at, at who, who had written on, on cinema or settler colonialism or both, uh, which was more rare, uh, and try to look at different scholars who, were, who I found interesting and who, whose work I've, I found, found interesting. And, and very early on, I realized that I don't want to edit this myself. And Becky and I have been uh, in contact previously on, on, on one special issue. Uh, so I basically knew what, what she was doing. And that was the, that was the, the idea that, uh, that I, as a historian, and Becky, as, as, a, as, a, as a post-colonial, as a literature, literature scholar, would complement each other that 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 would it would be truly interdisciplinary multidisciplinary work and and that's how things got started and 
In the introduction, and Becky, maybe you can you can address this question a bit, but in the introduction, you describe the, the purpose of the collection and the, the themes that, that connect the various essays together. So what do you see as these themes that tie this whole collection together? What are some of the unifying threads here? Okay. Um, so we tried to pull out some of those in the way we organize the collection. And so we have um, section headings that pull out some of our themes. So we begin with conquest. So we're looking at different films that um, examine that idea. Um, uh, another section is about settlers and different kinds of settlers. Another is titled Natives, and we that section focuses on different ways that that, um, that idea and indigeneity is explored. And then the final section, Space, looks at space in film and also how film uses space and then how film uses sort of, you know, outer space and because that's... Uh, um, some of the films or one of the essays looks at uh, science fiction film. So um, so those are some of the themes. Um, uh, I'd say overall, one of the themes that draws that pulls together the collection is we're looking at how settlers and settlement is depicted in film in the stories. But we're also looking at how film made way for settlement in its stories and how it, how it presented stories that made uh, uh, made people feel okay about what was going on, or that um, packaged the story, or that promoted settlement. So, uh, so that's a strong thread. Um, we also look at how film, <clears throat> excuse me, is a product of settler colonialism, just as the novel is of colonization. Um, and so, I think a strong thread in the book is looking at the medium in production. And so we encouraged our authors to talk about the production of the films. And some of my favorite essays do that. And I think that's that's unique about our about our project is not just looking at the stories, but looking at the the um, the medium of film and then how it came about as a collaborative um, and settlement project. That was one of the themes that that I took out of the book in particular was was how film can be used as a way to to sanitize or maybe round off the edges of or at least make legible what was was happening in settler colonial societies for particularly the settlers themselves. I thought that was a really strong strong theme here. I think that yes. the film is, is like like Becky said that it's it's not not just about the stories, but also those those the film is is, is making. It's part of that settler colonial processes. It's part of that uh, overgenerational memory, for example, that explains uh, nations' past uh, to contemporary people, and it's, it's so deeply embedded uh, in these colonial processes uh, of explaining, justifying conquest, and 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 so I think in, in this regard, it's, it, I think. One of the things that also stimulated this this, this book is that uh, there's been a lot of work uh, and talk of these days on on monuments, statues, for example, how how they uh, amplify colonialism, how they uh, still keep this on, ongoing colonialism alive, and how they create uh, stories and narratives and spaces that. Say it's oh, the colonial the legacy is, is something to be cheered at. That's something to be proud at. And movies do that in in a way as well. Uh, that they are they have contemporary products, but they still speak to our present and and the past as well. And while there's been a lot of talks about statues and monuments, I think the films also deserve more visibility and more more. Uh, uh, broader and deeper analysis of their roles embedded in colonial processes. 
Well, let's talk about film for a bit and a bit of, of film history, because as a medium, film has, has existed for over over a century now, 100, this will show my own ignorance on film history, about 120, 130 years or so is my, my best, best guess. Um, how has the medium been implicated in settler colonialism really from its very beginnings? Um, well, that, that's true. Um, so if you look back at some of the early Edison films, um, that are the really short films. You can see how they present settler life. I mean, so shots of city life, they're normalizing, moving through and existing in settled space. And uh, some of the more famous early films like um, you know, Melies' uh, Trip to the Moon, the 1902 film that you've probably, everybody's seen that image of the man in the moon with the, um, with the rocket sticking out of his eye. I mean, that's that's completely a story of colonization. I mean, it's that that's, that is what that story is, is about, only it's about colonizing. The moon is an island and the French um, uh, scientists are the settlers. And then you can see that the native moon people who are resisting. So it's, that's a, to me, to be a really clear story. Um, but some of the, some of the first stories, some of the first films were normalizing settler life. Um, so we discussed in our introduction, uh, a silent film called The Vortrekkers, which is a 1916 film, which presents a narrative of settlement and conquest in South Africa. And it really, and that was used for generations to tell that story. And so it was not, so it was a, a really important part of, um, of myth-making in South Africa for, uh, for white, uh, white Afrikaners. Um, and other early films we can see exoticized indigenous life. So they sort of, uh, they served like the Renaissance menageries that sometimes included indigenous people as exhibits alongside animals. And uh, so you can see, uh, certainly see examples of those. And um, that's, but they had also had the unintended result of preserving that life. So one of my um, favorite essays in the book, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that or not, but is that the cover of our book is taken from um, Natalie Zappia's um, analysis of the 1914 in the land of the headhunters. And she makes a really compelling argument that even though the purpose of that film might have been to exoticize uh, this indigenous Canadian group, um, that it had the unintended later consequence of preserving some of the, um, the culture for their descendants. And she makes a compelling argument that you can see sort of in the looks that they're giving the camera, that they realize this doubled role of sort of, you know, you may think that you're using us at this point, but we're using you. And so I think it's really uh, interesting to, to think about how film could have served that double purpose of uh, you know, a settlement project, but also um, like a way of a moment of resistance. It also needs to be noted that 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 these Edward Curtis films are they they are labeled as documentaries, hmm. so they they have this uh, aura of, of being objective uh, at, at least for the broader audience. Uh, you, you easily conceive the documentaries as as more objective, or of course they're not, but still this idea that. Uh, that you can portray native uh, early films of, of Native Americans as as as, as an outsider, like Curtis uh, pretended to be, uh, but of course he he, he was he was uh, anything but. Also, we have another uh, similar type of of, of of early depiction of of, of movies uh, by Dominic Beckenheld on on documentaries of, of of Canadian national parks, and these also portray these ideas of pristine wilderness. Uh, uh, that has been uh, empty lands uh, now waiting for and being commodified and, and for the tourist gaze uh, being easily made accessible for tourists on their automobiles, which was a new thing at the time in the 20s. Um, uh, so, silicolism 
it portrays different kinds of spaces, but it's still it's still embedded early on, on in these these processes of explaining uh, the national story, explaining uh, the, the the story of justification of, of what's what has happened in history, which was then in early cinema, very recent history. Uh, there were still actual pioneers alive of, of who had been part of this first wave of conquest in North American West, for example, or German Southwest Africa. So it's, it's, it's part of that then as well. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. And one thing that I felt this collection did particularly well was portray uh, the, the settler colonial world and really show that settler colonialism is a global story. And the collection includes places that are arguably less well-known within settler colonial studies. So for one instance, how has the Pacific world and Pacific uh, settler colonialism been presented on film? So the collection has, has two essays on on the, on the Pacific by Delia Consett and and Larry Kessler. So basically, to, to kind of summarize their findings, that that the Pacific in the U.S. in the Hollywood depiction of, of the Pacific is is an extension of the American West. It's the final frontier, or at least the next front. It's not the final frontier because. We have, have Lawrence Verzini's essay on, on, on outer space in interstellar. That's the final frontier, probably. But it's the next frontier for the for the American national story. These these ideas of of American masculinity, uh, controlling, dominating nature. They are like like they are in the, in the westerns. They all are there in in, the, in these movies on on Pacific worlds as well. Of course, there are differences as well. Uh, but Films once more work as 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 emblems and, and and tools for justification of U.S. annexation of Hawaii, for example, uh, U.S. militarization of the Pacific against the uh, native, but also the Japanese imperial threat is very very strong there as well. Uh, nature is is like in American westerns. Nature is 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 very essential to the story. Nature is seen as an obstacle. Uh, it's it's something that the Settlers had to um, overcome. They have. They have to uh, dominate, uh, con- contain, control. But it's always. It's, it's, there's, there's this mixture of, of seeing these Edenic paradises, waiting for the settlers to come and make them prosper, but also underlying fears of whether settlers are able to do this. Very much like in the in typical. If you think about Western movies, uh, that the big uh, wagon train. 
travel. We don't have wagon trains now, but we have these different types of setting, but similar types of narratives are being told about it. I also particularly liked, uh, if we're talking about favorite essays in the collection, I particularly liked the essay by Alexander Morrison about settler colonialism in the Soviet East. And actually, as I was reading that essay, I was reading uh, Bathsheba DeMuth's recent book, Floating Coast, which I thought kind of paired really well with what Morrison was talking about. And in general, it's an area that I didn't know that much about, particularly not through the lens of settler colonialism. So can you tell us a little bit about that essay and more broadly about areas in the settler world that are in need of greater study? Uh, sure. So, I, I mean, I think one of the one of the really useful, um, I don't know, one of the ways that settler colonialism as a concept is really useful is that we can see how it's played out across time and space and how not all settlements look alike and not all settlers look alike. And so it can be a really, it's going to be an interesting way to problematize post-colonialism because I, I'm, and as a post-colonialist, I mean, I'm, I came to that first and then started working in settler colonialism. Um, so, and I think in as work progresses that we're seeing more and more analyses of places that where settlement is more complicated and where it's not uh, as, as easy to see. Um, so uh, there's been some interesting work done about um, Israel and Palestine and the settlement project uh, there. Uh, so Lorenzo Verstini has written on, uh, has written on that topic. And, and it's a very fraught topic, and I realize why people have um, strong feelings on both sides, but I think that's why we need to examine it is because we're using the word settlement to talk about um, what happened in that part of the world. And it's really interesting to think about how that is or is not, uh, you know, another instance of colonization. I think we can also look at um, uh, not just at Russia, where there's just a really complicated and fascinating relationship between the the countries that used to be part of the USSR and sort of how they're being treated now and how they got to be uh, part of the USSR and sort of in the settlement project of Russia um, across that area. But um, with Asia, there's some really interesting work being done looking at um, China, uh, both internal colonization within China and then also China colonizing Taiwan and Hong Kong, which are, are ongoing uh, discussions and analyses and sort of, certainly film is a part of that. Um, uh, historically, looking at how Japan colonized Korea, how Japan colonized, you know, its own indigenous people. Um, I think there's some uh, interesting work being done on South America, looking at internal colonies there. Um, also, and then also some work looking back in history at settlement um, in places that we might not think about being part of the typical, uh, you know, uh, 18th through 21st century project of Europe colonizing the rest of the world. So. Some people talk about medieval settlement, for instance, and try to uh, use some of the theory. Traditionally, uh, the definition of, of Silicon colonial studies is, is a relatively new field of, of, of inquiry, and it's pretty much dominated by by Patrick Wolf's ideas of, of, of and, and these notions of, of what silicon is, this logic of, of, of elimination uh, involving uh, replacement and substitution. Of, of peoples, and it usually uh, we connect settler colonialism uh, to North America and to these British, what James Belly calls the British Wests, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and more recently also French Algeria, G German Southwest Africa have been have been uh, seen as settler colonies. But I think there's still much, like Peggy said, there's much much room to to expand this notion. Uh, how is settler Colonialism, it's not exclusively perpetrated by, by whites. Uh, 
uh, Japanese example of, of the Hokkaido and the, the, the Ainu colonization is, is, is a great example of that, that. Also Chinese colonization in Xinjiang, uh, Manchuria, uh, Taiwan, uh, very different places uh, comes comes to, into factor in this. I thought a, a, a history course last 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 winter on, on global settler colonialism in Berlin, and I had had students from all over the world, uh, from very many different places. I had one from Malaysia. And and she held this gave this paper on on Mal- uh, Chinese settler colonialism in Malaysia, uh, which I never realized was a thing uh, before mm. that. Uh, so th- this, this our ignorance is is and, and is, is one thing that prevents on, on doing it. How could we see perhaps settler colonialism inside Europe as a fin? Uh, I know our borders has. Uh, shifted quite a bit in, in the last hundred years and Finnish uh, uh, settlers have been driven out of, of, of Karelia, uh, our eastern, east, what used to be our eastern provinces, and they have been replaced by Russian settlers there. But we never, in, in Finnish history, we don't see that as a settler colonial replacement. But when I went to the U.S. first time uh, as, a, as a grad student, it's almost 20 years ago already, one of my professors were, were talking where I'm from and my family history and all that. He, he said, you're a victim of settler colonization. I said, what? Uh, <laughs> uh, because my, my, my mother's uh, family, they, uh, they, uh, they had to leave their homes in, in Karelia. So could we perhaps look at Finnish films uh, or the German Polish borderlands, which have been also undergoing many, many changes over the years, uh, East, East Prussia, uh, all these different areas within the Mediterranean, and only the French Algeria, but the, the hundreds of thousands of Italians in Libya or in Tunisia 100 years ago, which um, was kind of this idea that there should be a, a European Mediterranean settler project. Um, all these different uh, facets of settler colonialism, which really make it a global phenomenon, but more research is, is definitely needed. Not only in film, but in, hist- in, in history as well. And Yanni, your essay in the collection is about the settler American West and the portrayal of the American West in recent film westerns as a genre. Can you t- tell us a little bit about your essay and about the settler West on film generally? So basically, my essay is, is about the, the Coen brothers, uh, the unbearable well, was of Buster Scruggs. So basically... Uh, I see in the in, in my in the essay I see that the Cohens are are trying to flip the, the traditional settler colonial narrative of Western progress of masculinity uh, and they make they make the West very unbearable, uh, chaotic, uh, pointless, meaningless, cruel place. That it's, it's not only violent but it doesn't have any any kind of moral grounds. It, it doesn't it doesn't lead into anything. It's a dead end. For the settlers, uh, and while this is basically the only essay in, in the book about the American West as such, there are there's Sheila McManus's uh, essay on Canadian West. Uh, in, in it, he, he she looks at, at at this movie Gunless and sees that there's this Canadian tendency uh, to set itself against the U.S. West to, to differentiate that the U.S. West is is racist, violent. But the Canadian West is, is benevolent, uh, 
ethically diverse, uh, tolerant, and all these kind of things. Um, and it also shows in in movies. It's of course it's it's a very common idea when comparing Canadian and U.S. Western expansions, but it, it's also there in in, in movies. Others, uh, it is very interesting to me because uh, uh, many essays that deal with different places in the in, around the world in in the book, they use the Western as a kind of a prototype, a reference point for silver colonial film narratives. Western is the quintessential silver colonial movie narrative that is like Alexander Borison. He sets out to compare the, the Soviet Easterns with the American Westerns and finds differences there. But nevertheless, he sets out to use the American Western as this, this measurement, as, as, as a reference point. And there's others as well. But uh, at least to my knowledge, those who, scholars who have actually researched and studied and written on the on American Western, and there's, there's a lot of those. There's, there's, it's, it's, there's, there's, there's tons of stuff on the American West, but very rarely it, it, it's, it's put into this context of settler colonialism, let alone the context of, of, of global settler colonialism. And and as the essays in the book, this book show, clearly there's this global tendency uh, among filmmakers uh, to, to have viewed this American West as a, as a prototype, as as, a, as this, this golden standard of, of settler colonization. This will be sort of a, a broad question, but but thinking about um, the, the the next section of the book, how have settler filmmakers portrayed indigenous people globally? And obviously, there will be differences from from region to region and from film to film. But but in a in a general sense, how have some films tried to uh, to quote one of the contributors disrupt the settler lens? And have they been successful in doing so? I think that's a complicated question. I mean, I think the successful part is probably open to interpretation, um, which is why this is such a great book and a great field to be in, because I think we have a lot to talk about. But um, but in general, I would say that um, the more successful uh, portrayals have complicated settlement and have shown it not as being this sort of um, happy ending project, either for white settlers and definitely not for the indigenous people. And they've been undermining some of the tropes of colonization about the civilizing project and um, uh, and about um, uh, white settlers defending themselves against the indigenous people. Um, so you can see in some of these films, they're, they're doing what in post-colonial studies we call writing back, where they're just presenting the other side of the story and, uh, and making it available for everyone to just problematize the fantasies that we have about colonization. So presenting a version of settlement that's that's not focused on the settler and one where the settler is an invader. Um, and that last section, or not the last section, but the section that's about um, this entitled Natives has four essays. And I think they, they, they look at this in interesting in different ways. And so I've talked a little bit about um, Natalie Zappia's film and sort of about that moment where she talks about um, uh, you know, the, the indigenous people sort of looking at the lens and, and there's this moment of um, what she sees as a recognition of how this is a resistance project as much as it is a colonization project. But there's uh, the other essays in the section, I, I also make interesting arguments. Um, and a couple of them are about indigenous filmmakers. So I'm particularly uh, thinking about the film about um, uh, Taika Waititi's Hunt for the Wilder People, um, which is uh, uh, 
really a, an excellent essay about, and you probably know his work, he's a very popular filmmaker, um, about nostalgia in the film and about this, um, how the film makes this assertion of Maori claims and how it's just, it's, it's a problematic text, but that um, they see him as being a real forerunner of what film should be doing in New Zealand. Um, and then the essay about uh, the films of Ivan Sin by Barry Judd is a really interesting look at Aboriginal masculinity as presented in those films. And um, those are also really popular films in Australia. So I think there's some, there's some good work that's looking at, again, um, at the indigenous perspective and also indigenous filmmakers and, um, and how that, I think that's the sort of the next area of, uh, of scholarship. Yana, anything you'd like to add? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Most definitely, uh, especially the, the Ivan Sen's uh, movies uh, discussed by Barry Chard in, mm -hmm. in his essay, uh, how they, from an indigenous perspective, go directly against these, these very common stereotypes, try to question, question those stereotypes through the medium of film, uh, try to underline this old settler colonial, uh, undermine these old settler colonial narratives of white masculinity by by inserting indigenous masculinity at the center of of, of discussion and center right. of the frame so it's it's very kind of a film allows that if you talk about settler colonial movies uh, it's very easy to to portray that this is that they are very mechanic, mechanical that they work uh, to establish, justify settler colonial conquest, like we've been talking here. But there's a, there's there are there are other sides to this as well. That film enables uh, multiple voices. It, it, it enables contestation of of mm. prevalent discourses. It, it enables uh, alternate views of, of looking at the world. And that is one of the things that also like 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 uh, novels as well. That there's this multiplicity of discussion, multiplicity of viewpoints. Uh, that, but although while, while there are multiple ways of approaching this, they all kind of still reflect the same narrative. Even uh, even if they are advocating that narrative, supporting it, or going against that narrative. Uh, but also, I think I think in the future, movies can can be more inclusive, more diverse, they can show, of course, that's the, the common trend in Hollywood, at least, in, 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 on surface at least, these days, of diversifying uh, film industry. And, uh, but of course, it, it, there's, there's, there's so much to so much ground to do that, because uh, there's, there's, there's so many stories left untold still. Absolutely. Thinking about some of the essays toward the last section of the book, I'm wondering if uh, if you could talk a bit about how film has served to recreate and to maintain uh, settler methods of thinking about uh, spaces in general, but particularly about space itself. Of course, space is essential to, to settler colonization. It's it's, the, it's about the land. It's it's about mm. recreating replacing those already there, making that space anew in, in a way. There's this very common uh, idea of selectional narratives are these virgin lands where the settlers arrive. Often there, there's the struggle when they arrive there, but they, when they arrive there, they are remaking the place and in the process, 
uh, making themselves or making claims that they belong to that place. That this the sense of belonging is very quintessential idea of 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 how spaces are seen and organized and portrayed and created in in these movies. But of course, there's there's very different kinds of spaces here, uh, like the essays here. Uh, Dominic Present Hilt talks talks about national parks, this wide open, pristine wilderness, uh, while uh, Maria Flood essays oh, is about these tight urban spaces, uh, Kasbah in, in French Algeria, and and and, and modern day Kasbah in, in the suburbs of Paris, uh, where immigrant uh, population is being con- concentrated. That there are these spaces that are tight. Uh, claustrophobic uh, that are seen as, as, as non-settler spaces in the broader settler colonial spaces. French Algeria was a settler colonial region, but looking at the film Pepe Le Moco, a classic film from uh, the 30s, Flats set out to, to see how the filmmakers are creating Caspar as this anti-settler space where the settlers are in danger of losing their morality. The main character in the movie, played by John Capan, uh, is, is, is a, a, a hoodlum, basically, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's kind of this gentleman hoodlum. Uh, uh, but he gets uh, entrapped by this Kasbah. He, he, he has no way out because the, the law would arrest him and he, he's uh, falling in love as well. But there's no uh, prosperous honorable middle-class future for these kind of people who get caught in these anti-settler spaces, that these spaces can be dangerous uh, also. And of course... Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. Oh, go ahead. You, you okay, well I, well, I was going to say, I, I, I uh, wanted to add one thing onto your analysis, which is just thinking about how film itself brings the viewer to the space. And so, um, uh, so it is... By filming a place, it's it's almost an active settlement itself, and certainly psychologically for the viewer viewing the space through the film, you it's an appropriative act, or it can be you know a, uh, an appropriative act. So if you think about um, like John Ford westerns, where you have those sweeping shots of the West and sort of what it's like to be a viewer and how you're sort of brought in tightly into the more more and more tightly into the uh, into the shot, and so you become you become a settler yourself through the film, just as a tourist going to a tourist site and sort of taking a picture of something and then they take it home with them and they own that thing that they have the image of. So I think there's a, there's a psychological effect of how we settle spaces through film also. That's very much, much the case. A very good point. And while we look at these this movies like John Ford's Westerns of the Monument Valley, Monument Valley being depicted as this ultimate Western cellular space, uh, uh, we kind of, have this uh, opportunity to kind of relive the settler experience, especially right. if, if we have these uh, ancestors we, we have known that they have been settling the West. Uh, I, even I have them, but they didn't stay in the West. They came back to Finland, uh, which are those I know of. Uh, but still, this idea that that you 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 can be part of that story, you can you can you can visualize visualize. It's very important the visualization of the urban West and Monument Valley is of course the, is, is the prime example of, of of that. While in reality, Monument Valley was never a settler settler space. It was also Navajo, always Navajo space. Uh, there was no prosperous settler farms there. There, although in John Ford's The Searchers, for example, is is built on this this farm farming fantasy, uh, but still. 
the visualization is very powerful way of 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 narrating these stories, retelling them to to new generations. And and of course, westerns are well, they've been out of fashion for as long as I've lived, almost. Uh, but still, uh, Lawrence Overa's essay here is, is, a, is a great example mm. of the new generation being uh, imagining being a settler, but only in this time in, in, in other planets, in outer space. And Verosini's uh, depiction of, of Christopher Nolan's Interstellar uh, depicts this, this environmental crisis, not perhaps unlike we will experience, hopefully not in the future, uh, but the world, uh, the planet Earth is, 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 is no longer inhabitable. The settlers have used Earth. Uh, there's nothing left. The crops don't grow. So what the settler does uh, is not downscale, not look for alternate ways of living on this planet, but the settler looks for the next planet, mm. the next space to conquer, the next place to remodel, control, and remake. And that is in, in the, the, the fine movie. It's, it, they actually find it. So it's funny that you knew that I was talking about that scene from The Searchers when I was describing that that sweeping shot pulling in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, we well, all be, yeah. It's 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 this kind of shared shared right. uh, culture uh, right. we have. So this uh, this is a, a wonderful collection of essays, and there's a lot of of big ideas in here, and there's quite a bit that that a reader can pull out of here. But if there is perhaps one takeaway that you hope readers come away from this book understanding, what might that takeaway be? And I ask this question of of all of my guests, and often they express some frustration because I know it's not an easy question. But but just to kind of summarize what you hope readers might get away from this book, I'm curious what you think. I have an answer. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, 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 it's the same reason I got into making this book. It's, it's about this global uh, phenomenon, global settler cinema, or so what you want to call it. This interlinked teams, interlinked stories, interlinked visualization, interlinked uh, shared culture, like, like the, the Monument Valley story a couple of minutes ago, uh, that we actually, whether we realized it or not, we have all been impacted by these these narratives of silicon uh, at least in the Western world, I would argue, um, but also in other places as well, that there is this common global narrative that, of course, had very var- many variables, many, many, uh, the, the differences, of course, are, are there, uh, but they're not necessarily because of, of, of nation, national reasons or nationalities or because of different nation states, but there's this transnational, transimperial culture of, 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 of movies within these colonial framings. And that's one of, that's, that's the, my, my, what drew me into this kind of uh, book, but it's also one of the things I would very much like to be known by others as well. I, I agree. I mean, I think that one of the, one of the strengths of the book is it's, uh, transnationality and sort of how the connections it draws among these disparate, seemingly disparate spaces that actually have a lot in common when you um, look at the story of settlement. But um, so one of, one of my personal projects that I hope people take away from this is thinking about the production of the films also. And so that, and so that as we've talked about, there's the story and there's nothing wrong with enjoying the story. I mean, it's winter outside right now. And so if, if you're watching South Pacific and sort of fantasizing about being someplace warm, I don't think there's 
anything wrong with that as long as we can remember the historical realities of um, what the situation was like in that space and time and how that was a settlement project. And then also think about um, the situations of the actors and the indigenous people who had to make way for or participate in the film's production and then think about sort of some of the complexities of reception. So I think if uh, if I can encourage readers to just get in the habit of um, viewing film through this more complicated lens, I think that's and and remembering that the remembering the production film is a collaborative project by its nature. Very rarely do you see a film that's made by one person solely. I mean, it's almost always got a a, a team, and uh, and it's always. It's almost always more complicated, I would argue, than what we think at first. So as we wrap up here, I uh, I like to get a preview when I can of what my guests are working on next. So if you have any projects that are that are coming up that um, that you might want to talk about, I would love to hear about them. And, and Becky, maybe we can hear from you first. Sure. So I'm working on uh, several essays with a couple of collaborators, a historian and an art historian. Um, uh, Cynthia Prescott and Nathan Reese. We're working on several pieces where we're doing a comparison of some monuments. So it's still interested in material culture. Um, the this is the place monument in Utah and the Vortrekker monument in um, South Africa. And then I'm just beginning work on another book that's going to look at stories about mining in the 19th century. Because these stories are um, thinking about the like the gold rush sites. They're really fascinating places where you have indigeneity, meeting settlement, meeting migrancy. And so you've sort of got uh, another group to that that's, uh, makes the relationships and the arguments about who owns the land more complicated. And Yanni? I have too many, too many projects. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> it might take a while. You're uh, very uh, prolific, Yanni. I, I have noticed that. <laughs> I have an edited volume on, on, on German and U.S. colonial entanglements. Uh, that just came out last week by by Palgrave, and the idea that this that the German and U.S. colonial enterprises were relational. It mostly looks at how Germans looked looked at the U.S. as as a as a as a as a, as a rival, uh, but also as a, as a model as 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 a, as, a, as a reference point for effective settler colonization. Uh, and the, whether the Germans were thinking about uh, African possessions or the Eastern European borderlands. They, they tended to look at that the U.S. as a as an inspirational model, but also um, uh, the, the monuments are one thing that interests me. And, and we are actually working on a special issue for Journal of Genocide Research, uh, where Becky is, Becky is also part of. Uh, I'm looking at the, the Südwesten Reiter in in Windhoek, uh, Namibia, uh, but used to be German Southwest Africa as this monument for German domination. It was set up uh, over 100 years ago, uh, and it was removed first in 2009, but then in 2013 for the second time. And now it's in—it's uh, not in storage, but it's in this this uh, museum courtyard. It used to be in the prominent place at the at the at the center of the city, opposite the the Christuskirche, the, the main uh, German uh, church uh, in the town, and so. This kind of notion of how colonial violence, the, the first genocide of the 20th century against the Herero and Nama, committed by the Germans, uh, was 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 celebrated in this statue. And what happened to this statue later on? Uh, how it's been removed? How it's been contested? And it's still contested. The, the Namibians of German descent are very, uh, at least some of them, are very angry 
at the removal. And, 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 and that's kind of makes for interesting case study for on monuments, colonial violence, and ongoing contestation of these narratives. One thing, one other thing I, I would like to mention, I'm also working on, on Finnish colonization these days on, on the Petsamo region in the Arctic. We had a, this region for 20 years in the, from the 20s to the 40s, and it was seen as Finnish settler colonial destination uh, by the, those people who were actually go, going there and who were, who were writing about it. Uh, there used to be this joke that in the 20s in Finland that we had we have this small Petsamo, which was very peripheral, uh, not a lot of people, some some Sami people there, but also some settlers going, and that the Finns used to have, that we have Petsamo, while the British had India. So it's kind of a joke comparing uh, these different colonial domains. But later on, Finnish historians and Finnish public especially has ignored this settler colonial history, and they have not seen it as, as, as colonization at all. So that's one of the things I'm, I'm working on as well. And many others too. All, all examples of, of really the, the global reach of, of this system. Dr. Jani Lati is an Academy of Finland Research Fellow at the University of Helsinki. And Dr. Rebecca Weaver-Hightower is Professor of English at Virginia Tech University. Their new edited volume is Cinematic Settlers, the Settler Colonial World on Film, which came out with Rutledge in 2020. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you for having us. This is wonderful. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.